My conversation today is with Department Head of Religious and Ethical Studies at Meredith College, Professor Shannon Grimes. Building upon the subject of her 2005 doctoral dissertation, Dr. Grimes' 2018 release called Becoming Gold, Zosimus of Panoplis, and the Alchemical Arts in Roman Egypt, released through Rubedo Press, thoroughly explores the metal coloring process essential to the construction and animation of Greco-Roman statuary in Egypt of late antiquity, via the perspective of the scribal priest Zosimus. Her cultural biography style makes her works one of my first recommendations for anyone interested in hermetism, theurgy, alchemy, and spiritual philosophy. Working from primary source materials, Dr. Grimes paints a nuanced picture of Zosimus as a great harmonizer of doctrines of the first few centuries in and around Alexandria, Egypt, and gives us intriguing and rigorous detail concerning the various religious cultures of the ancient Near East. Dr. Grimes was extremely knowledgeable, down-to-earth, and humble. It was my pleasure to sit down and chat with her about Zosimus, the underlying philosophies which unite the various traditions, and the spiritual implications of the great hermetic art of alchemy. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. some of the interests that really drew you to your studies of religion in general and the ancient and late antique past? Oh, well, uh, I, I've always been interested in religion, I guess. And I think that's because I come from a family that was not religious at all. And I was always drawn to more um, occult or esoteric, we used to call it a cult back then. Um, but those kinds of things. So for example, when I was 10 years old, I was devouring books on astrology. I'd go up to the public library and get books and do horoscopes for myself and my friends. And I had a Ouija board and you know, I was doing all that. Um, when I was a teenager, I graduated to tarot cards and um, got really interested in goddess religion and Wicca, which was, you know, that's how like typical teens do that. But this was in the mid eighties where not many teens were doing, it was pretty new, um, at least in the United States and where I was from. So anyway, I was always drawn to things like that and um, came at it through, I guess, through my practice and wanting to understand things better. I, um, I didn't study religion in college. I mean, I took elective classes in religion and philosophy but what got me interested in studying more deeply into mysticism and into late antiquity generally was uh, I had a pretty profound, like a mystical experience. And um, the paganism that I was practicing, this was in my early 20s, there was no framework for what I had experienced at all. And um, anyway, so I was, I was trying to, that's what drew me into studying more things like that. And I went on to graduate school and started to specialize in Gnosticism, Hermeticism, early Christianity. That's that's great that you used those experiences as like an impetus towards, I guess, something right uh, preeminently practical. Um, you know, because 
uh, I think uh, that can be such powerful fuel, such, you know, potent fuel for, um, for a contribution to, to, uh, the academic discussion or the larger discourse regarding these things, because yeah, there's, as a, as a magical practitioner myself, I consider myself first and foremost a ceremonial magician within the Western esoteric tradition, you know, um, through the hermetic order of the golden dawn there. Um, there, there's not that well assimilated sort of balance between the objective and the subjective. Um, there's still kind of these communities that are attempting to meet uh, or, or being sort of irresistibly magnetized uh, toward a, a, a point of convergence, I think, at this point, by perhaps something, you know, beyond intention on, on either of their sides. But, you know, it's, it's really that balance point where we personally, you know, I've, I have benefited from reading um, the work of people like yourself and, and Dr. Shaw, who, who kind of come from, uh, you know, I don't want to assume, but uh, not so much of a completely uh, cynical or, or positivistic uh, approach, approach to this stuff. I think that would be the right word. So, I mean, that it's just been a boon for me in, in the very short time I've been studying the works of Zosimus, right? Kind of an obscure character. You mentioned that in your book, there's not a, there's not a tremendous amount of scholarship on it. And it's it, whatever is written is, is sort of uh, cloistered, um, kept within the confines of academic discussion. But I have found just through, through your book, and I, I really I discovered your dissertation first, but um, I have found that really it is a connecting link. You know, the, the, the Zosimian corpus is a, is a connecting link, but I'm, I'm interested. I, I typically save this question for a little later after we've, you know, we've tread, tread some, some, some territory together, but I'm, I, I think I, it's safe to ask at this point, are you still uh, approaching this stuff? Do you, is there, is there a practical component to your spirituality in your, in your private life, let's say, or is it at, at this point, is it mostly academic? I'm, I'm curious because most of the people we have on here are practitioners. Um, yes, I am a practitioner. That said, I don't, I have been involved at times with very various groups. I was initiated into, into Freemasonry, for example, just through the EA. Um, Wow. So I've done that. I've been a member of VOTA, but I don't participate in the ritual aspect of that group. I'm more I'm involved with the tarot study group here in Durham. That's wonderful. Um, so I have been involved uh, to some degree with other people, but mostly it's myself and I develop my own rituals. I do my own study. And for me, um, like my biggest practice, I think, is is writing. And I keep a, a, what you might call a magical journal or book of shadows. I call it my book of dreams and visions. And I just record sort of what's going on <laughs> in my head. I try to get things out. And it's the principle of know thyself, right? I get it out. I write my dreams down faithfully um, so that I can see myself more clearly and transform myself accordingly. So that's my biggest practice. Um, I'm very nature oriented. So, um, you know, that comes from my pagan or Wiccan background. I wouldn't call myself a Wiccan uh, by any means anymore, but I'm definitely 
pagan in that way, earth-centered spirituality. And to that end, I've never been drawn much to ceremonial magic because it's so formal. I prefer a much more fluid, organic kind of ritual and practice. So I meditate, I contemplate, I pray, or I pray is a tricky word for me. I don't know why, but um, commune, I commune. There you go. <laughs> you know, I do all those things. And I do find it enriches my scholarship, but I also see scholarship as a part of my spiritual practice. I am very drawn to um, Thoth and the gods of writing. And that was a spiritual practice. To be a scribe was a spiritual practice. To learn, to research, to write. All of those are sacred endeavors to me. That's beautiful. Um, and, and the more people that I speak with, you know, um, and I, I certainly see it true in, in over the course of my my own spiritual trajectory or really life's trajectory is that, you know, it, 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 they're both side they're both two sides of the same coin. Not really a great analogy, but it, it really gets the point across. There's really no physical act that doesn't have some kind of spiritual consequence, and and I think vice versa. But it's it's interesting to see that level of integration. I think that that's super important in academic study and in 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 the practice of everything you know it's it's coming towards that alchemical rebus you know um the 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 harmonization of the polarity there um which is excellent but i'm um i'm curious uh how how was it that you specifically decided okay this guy zosimus this corpus of work this is what i'm going to focus on um how did you how did you get there (laughs) so when I, I did my master's degree at a really cool institution called the California Institute for Integral Studies, which is in San Francisco, um, Brian Swim, he's a well-known cosmologist, teaches there. They incorporate uh, spirituality to a large degree, integrating, right, body, mind, soul kind of approach. And they uh, were founded as a school that blends Eastern and Western traditions. Okay, so founded in the 1960s, I believe, by and a philosopher. So anyway, I went to this really cool, unique school for my master's degree. And I took a course on alchemy there. There are you know, not many places that offered courses on alchemy still today. <laughs> so I took a course on alchemy and Zo- I read Zosmos. I read you know, lots of stuff, a lot of Jung, um, lots of stuff on alchemy. And I had a very difficult time understanding it. I was intrigued. But it wasn't the thing that grabbed me most about religion, you know, or or my studies. Um, But when I got to my PhD program, I was taking a course on sacrifice. And I remember, so I had to write a paper, you know, I was thinking about my term paper, what am I going to focus on? And I remembered Zosmos uh, because his visions, for example, that on virtue or on excellence, it's translated different ways, but the visions of Zosmos, it's full of sacrificial imagery. And so I, I dug that out and I wrote my term paper on it and I really enjoyed it. And the more I got into him, the more I was able to, I'm starting to understand him a little bit more and alchemy was starting to make sense a little bit more. And I thought this is something that's really going to hold my interest and make for a great project to do for my dissertation. And so I, it was my first semester of my PhD program. That's great. Um, the, yeah, the, the visions 
particularly are are pretty wild. I re- I really really enjoy them. And you know what's what's also interesting is that okay, so you you you've gone through the EA and stuff like that, and I'm sure you're aware. Um, was that through Co Masonry? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you're aware that uh, you know of of some of the other symbolism throughout the the craft degrees and stuff like that. So all all the stuff is 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 published. But there's so much linking Zosimus to Freemasonry, particularly coming out of the the visions, you know, to the 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 symbolism. It's it's kind of mind blowing. But one of the questions that I had, and forgive my ignorance concerning this, but um, I know that you talked a little bit about this in the book. But you were obviously privy to the the historical documents. You were probably working off of uh, uh, primary source material, correct? Yeah. So that that's not to me. That's like an insane privilege. <laughs> I, I, um, you know, do we do we technically have within, uh, I guess, broader academia? Do we have most of the Zosimian corpus in translation, or were you reading Greek, Coptic? So um, no, mo- well, it has been translated into French. Okay, so to me, that's still not translated <laughs> into English. So I had to do some of that work um, and rely on other people who have done that work. So most of it is in Greek and some of it is, there are some Latin um, pieces to it. A lot of it's in Syriac, which I don't read. So I could read the Greek. I could read Latin, although I didn't get into the Latin text because many of them are also in the Greek. Mm -hmm. Um, Syriac, I I relied on the French translation. And then there's some in Arabic too. And um, a guy named Bing Hallam has done some work on Zosimos in the Arabic material recently, which is quite good, I think. And so he's found some, uh, it's mostly they're taking Zosimian material in the Arabic tradition and reinterpreting it. But he has found some what he considers authentic lines from Zosimian texts. That's excellent. I, I mean, I hope that we get some translations in the future, you know, uh, I really do because yeah, this stuff is just kind of recently coming to light and there's quite a bit there, particularly for people. Um, even if you don't have an academic background in this stuff, if you are somebody who say has been steeped in, or has been trained in the, particularly the species of theurgy that the golden dawn system, uh, you know, has, organized and and works actively in in the inner order in particular very interestingly the outer order is alchemical in nature it's the solve et coagula you know Mm -hmm. being taken apart by the constituent aspects of your you know the elemental aspects of your psyche and then having to put them together under the the auspices of spirit the quintessence the fifth element before you progress beyond you know, for to the light beyond the veil, I think Zosimus might might say trying to come into contact with the the you know uh, the man of light. Um, you know, there is that that theurgy, and if you understand that, and you've never read a word of this stuff in 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 primary or secondary material, you'd still be able. You'd have enough insight. So it's it's crossing this bridge of time that is um, that is fantastic. It's it's incredible. But um, for me, and again, this might have to do with, you know, a little bit of ignorance on my own part and an assumption, but I did just get back from a trip to Egypt. So I'm super stoked on, 
on that that area. I think we might have talked a little bit. I went to Egypt and and Greece, but I was in Egypt. I think right before I I spoke to you, and we went to Alexandria. Um, and so for me, in, in my studies, uh, you know, of of that area in the last few centuries BCE and the first few centuries CE. I've been just more and more gradually blown away by how it all converges and sort of melts together, um, which up until recently, I feel like the the consensus was that we we really partitioned hermit hermetism, Neoplatonism, you know, alchemy, uh, mostly academics having the understanding of these through lines, but now it's all coming to like this common ground of, of Platonism that capitulates in, in Gnosticism. And you see that it's all really all one system. So um, in, in your traversing through this material and examining primary sources and stuff like that and, and translations, did you find anything that either surprised you or anything that kind of verified an underlying hunch or hypothesis you might've had regarding any of this stuff? Hmm. Find anything that surprised me in studying Zosimos, you mean? Yes. I guess what he taught me about this was how. So I would I would not agree that it's all one thing necessarily. There are it appears that way, and they're using the same kind of framework, the same cosmic framework. They have the same questions about how does the one become the many? How does the many return to the one? Right? You mm -hmm. see that in Gnosticism, right. Neoplatonism, Hermetism. All of that is very similar, but there are subtle differences. And I think that's what Zosimos taught me. He's very grouchy. He, he has a lot of complaints about colleagues of his and trying to tease out sort of what, what exactly is he complaining about? And it's very particular ways of seeing this cosmos, right? And understanding the relationships between the one and the many. And he really didn't like, I think, um, from what I can gather <laughs> from my studies, I think he really didn't like um, the proliferation of demonic and angelic uh, beings, the daimons, uh, especially regarding astrology or astronomy. They were really indistinguishable back then. Um, and he didn't like the I think he was okay with lucky and unlucky days. That was traditional, but to assign um, demons, the daimons, to each of those degrees of the zodiac, I think was what he had a problem with. And to rely, say that they're responsible for things going one way or the other, rather than nature and thinking about it more broadly as the, the natural way in God. Right. Yeah. Um... And that's, he sounds like a man of my own heart, to be honest with you, because I'm also grumpy and I have similar complaints, but <laughs> I'm also Greek, but it's, uh, well, I think he was Egyptian, but um, it, one of the things that's really interesting to me about that is, is that it, it kind of echoes what's, what, uh, sort of a misperception that persists to the current day. And, you know, I, I, I had the privilege of, of coming up in a system and not working as a solo practitioner. Um, and so I was kind of immediately right out of the gate introduced to this alchemical formula that precedes a, a essentially a theurgic uh, attempt, you know. Um, but what I find is that magic nowadays is kind of misunderstood as this spiritual thing. And and it's it's in the 
really for me, it was the work of, of Dr. Skinner, Stephen Skinner, that really brought to light that like magic as they understood it back then didn't have anything to do with the sort of conflation or interpolation we give it with having this spiritual trajectory. It was literally just being adept in knowing how to call forth spirits, invisible entities. And, um, and that was kind of morally neutral. And in fact, uh, and I think you might've touched on this, believe it or not. And I, I think it's a point worth reiterating over and over is that to deal with magic on that level, um, rather than the, the theurgic or as they, they might call it like high magic is, is to impose your will on like a program like you're you kind of like contributing you're, you're messing everything up with with by adding to the karma of um uh, of i guess it's disruptive to a natural pattern you're now attempting to alter the pattern to conform to your will which is not the kind of magic that i practice or advise um but a lot of people think that you know that's or they're either unaware that that kind of magic is practiced even today in, in the grimoire traditions are coming back. They're very, very popular right now. Um, and, uh, or they just kind of, you know, th there's this conflation like magic is, yeah, of course it's a spiritual trajectory when really it was theurgy. Yeah. Theurgy. And certainly for Zosimos anyway, that's, that's the, the right way to do it. That's the higher way. That's the holier way to do it. And magic, trying to impose your will is confusing. It's egotism. He wouldn't use that, you know, terminology, but we can use that. It's um, thinking, thinking you're all that. <laughs> Rather, you need to let, you know, you, you hope and you try to purify yourself so that the gods can work through you and through your material and come into whatever it is that you're trying to create. You don't force that. You just purify your soul so that you can be a a good vessel yeah that can shine forth even from within you yeah yeah becoming gold <laughs> becoming gold um so in, in describing uh Zosimian alchemy as as um i think i think you compared it to to the way that dr shaw actually had described iamblichian theurgy as also demiurgic um it it in a similar sense, I think you compared the alchemy of Zosimus, what he was what he was talking about as as demiurgic. Um, so again, we're hitting that common ground of that underlying cosmogony or cosmology of of Platonism and Neoplatonism. Um, but you also have this Gnostic influence in Zosimus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so the the Gnostic schools don't necessarily all have a very good view about the Demiurge, right? I mean, Valentinians and Basilidians, they weren't as harsh, but still regarded as an ignorant, lower creator. So in understanding those Gnostic influences, do you think that Zosimus, have you, have you kind of found in his writings that he kind of viewed this demiurgic activity and this this entity as benevolent rather than that's an interesting idea to me right because he's he's trying to to create this this spiritual ascent i mean what part for him does the demiurge play is it you know is it ignorant is it the god below god so zosimos talks about in more in hermetic terms as mind mind and will or word um 
So he doesn't he doesn't really use the term demiurge so much. And when he talks about Gnosticism, he tends to talk about it in a positive way. He always talks about creation in a positive way. Um, ex- well, with some exception, and I think that's part of t- his teaching tool or teaching style, because in on excellence, in the visions of Zosimos that we were talking about earlier, it's like flee matter, flee, you know, let your spirit, spirit flee matter. But that's part of it, too. You have to die. You know, you have to go through that negredo phase. You need to go through the blackening, the Assyrian phase of it all in order to separate and then reunite the spirit with the body. You know, so he talks about nature or matter more negatively in those. But I think it's in that particular context only that he means that. When he talks about Gnosticism, so this is... This has been a thing with Zosimo. Some people would say he's a Gnostic and that he, you know, primarily a Gnostic, that he's more Christian than anything. But I don't get that um, back in his day. And if he was in the Egyptian priesthood, which I think he was, he was, I think, certainly a scribe in the house of life working in that context. Um, he wouldn't, he's not, if he is a Christian, if he practices any kind of Christianity or holds it dear, it's not an exclusive. He's not, he's not like other Christians of his day saying, I am Christian and I forswear all other ways of being. He is not that. He seems more interested in blending and harmonizing different ideas. So when he talks about Gnosticism, when he brings up those ideas, is mostly when he's writing to his colleague Theosebia, who's a female alchemist of some sort. (laughs) Um, And I'm not sure. I think that she is probably either a widow or a daughter of somebody, and she had inherited her family's business or had, you know, has now taken on some responsibility for it and is seeking advice from Zosimos. So whenever he talks about Gnosticism, it's in relation to her. And I think she was probably a Christian or possibly um, more of the Gnostic frame. And I think he's trying to frame things in a way that they can converse with and that it would uh, help her understand the spiritual way. Not that he doesn't um, appreciate or, you know, subscribe to some of these ideas himself. They're pretty common, as we mentioned earlier, in Hermetism, in Neoplatonism, in Egyptian thought even. But I think he's speaking to her specifically in a Gnostic framework so that she can, it's a way she can grasp it more easily. That's my, that's my theory. So as far as how much did he embrace, it's hard to know what he embraced. He talks about being, when he talks about himself or our beliefs, he talks about folk. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. Cause a lot of, a lot of his, a lot of his stuff was commentary on, on earlier uh, writers, there's a, there's a couple of interesting points in there actually. Um, this is just such a fascinating subject to me. Out of this, like one guy, you know, um, because of the fact that he is, whether he intended to or not, he has kind of this this filter point where we are receiving all all of the the older stuff through his lens, his interpretation. At this point, and as you're saying, you're you're pointing out, you know, so well that he really did try to harmonize rather than exclude, right? He didn't. He was bringing it all together. So, um, and in a sense, we we kind of we kind of see that 
reemerging today in, in certain forms of spiritual eclecticism, this attempt to find the perennial philosophy as, as it kind of flowers in, in different places under different colors and, and uh, in different permutations. But um, it is, I, I find it interesting. I like the quote from Roland Vandenbroek. Uh, I think he says, it's a very curious phenomenon that almost all authentic Gnostic texts have been passed down in Coptic translation. So it's, um, it, it, there's, you've got the Hermetism coming through. You've got the Neoplatonism coming through. You've got the alchemy, the Egyptian influence. There's also the Roman influence. Um, it seems to be a very unique and significant kind of through line through this, uh, like you're saying at, at the deepest, uh, the deepest level about the, the, the nature of the cosmos and, and humankind and, and of God, right. The absolute or the transcendent. Um, so would you, would you conceptualize that Zosimian alchemy and the way that he translated it and that it, it came through him? Would you, would you find that, maybe Neoplatonic theurgy as Iamblichus uh, propounded it, are are they kind of branches from the same trunk? Is it part of the same impetus? Or, or how do you view those things as as connecting together? Do they, you know, on a on a on a practical level? So I think that there's an Egyptian, you know, root at all of this. And Iamblichus, when he's writing his book on theurgy, De Mistress, he's writing in the guise of an Egyptian priest, and he's talking about some of the priestly practices. And he's, I think, writing in that guise, or using this as an example to show, ideally, this is, this is what theurgy is. It's, perform it's not only performing ritual, but it is how one behaves, how one orients oneself to receiving divine energy. Egyptian priests acted as gods when they performed ritual. You know, so this idea of invoking the God within, I think Zosimos was as an artist uh, working for the Egyptian temples, he would be making statues. And I, I have in my book, you know, argued that a lot of his religious views come from this idea of statue making or are very Egyptian in their origins. So I think and I think, I'm sorry, I think I've lost track of your question a little bit. I tend to do that. <laughs> I get, I, I oh, me too. I lose track of, of my questions as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, um, I think there's this Egyptian core to what they're doing. And I think that it's probably, you know, they're in Platonism as well. And I would love to see, and scholars are starting to look more deeply at that Egyptian core of things. Yeah, it's especially after going to Egypt and and you know having a, an Egyptologist as a guide and and putting all these kind of things together. I'm I'm becoming more and more convinced of this idea of the the, the priest class as like the first philosophers of ancient Egypt, right? Because their their special purview was in dealing with the gods, and the gods had dominion over these 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 quote unquote, natural forces, right? We wouldn't technically consider magic to be, you know, Heka to be natural today. We consider that to be supernatural, but it wasn't really the case at the time. But do correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong in any of this. Um, uh, but 
this idea that these specific priests in jo- involved in ministering to these different gods whose you know uh, jobs were, were these different parts of nature you look at the Ebers papyri, you know, you look at some of, I think in the, the Berlin papyri, you, you, you look at some, some of the metallurgical stuff that Zosmus was talking about. And you see this almost like the stratification of, of priest physician, priest scribe, priest alchemist or, or metallurgist, you know, uh, statue animator, you know, a uh, uh, metal colorer, but it was, it was specifically these experiments in the priest class that that culminated in in these almost like this natural philosophy because i know i know it's been it's it's been said that like egyptian metalworking meeting greek philosophy but if you go back even the greeks attest it right and we're, we tend to sometimes be very proud people but you've got porphyry saying things like pythagoras spent two and 20 years in egypt astronomizing and geometrizing and was initiated in no casual or superficial manner thales right? Solon, the lawgiver, Plato, they all went to ancient Egypt, studied, were initiated, and came back as like these natural philosophers, you know, that married. They they were looking for the patterns because they understood all of a sudden that there's something spiritual underneath all of this, you know? So to to me, that's a very compelling idea that the priest class of ancient Egypt was really the first philosophers, even though they didn't call it that, you know? It it kind of devolved into what we consider modern philosophy by way of the materialism of of Aristotle and all that stuff. But there there were still a unified uh, thing. And, you know, people find Plato, like, I forget who said it. I think it might've been Iamblichus, maybe even Proclus, but one of his later commentators made a comment, like even Plato does not speak clearly on, on certain things. And to me, it's like, well, yeah, these are mystical texts. It's not, these are not like rational texts. These are mystical texts. He, he says it in the Timaeus. He says it in the Phaedrus. He says it in all these different, like, I'm only talking about these things symbolically because that's the only way you can talk about them. Exactly. Exactly. Isn't it in the Phaedrus too, when they talk about that spiritual ascent, you can only go so far. Rationality can only get you so far after that. It's, it's fire. It's up to the gods, right? Yeah, and I, I think you, I think you. That's somewhere in your book is uh, Zosimus talking about maybe Aristotle being mm-hmm. like he was a brilliant man, but he wasn't divine because his intellect got in the way. Yeah, yeah, and he was too focused on the things of this earth. We might have a critique about science that way today, right? They don't try to answer the larger questions or see the the divine at work behind all that they do. It's very physical, very intellectual, yeah. limited from his point of view. So also in, um, in going back to very briefly, let's, let's call it right. Cause that's what Gnosticism and Christianity and all that stuff was uh, Jewish heresy at the time, you know, for lack of a better term um, in going back to, to that kind of through line, because it was very, very prominent there at that time. Uh, what are your thoughts on, is it on the treatise on 10, maybe where he starts talking about the hermetic physica and, and these echoes of the book of Enoch and that cover even similar themes of like similar motifs to like the hypotheses of the archons or the apocryphon of John, essentially these fallen beings coming and, you know, having, uh, sexual relationship, uh, lusting after 
uh, human women and then teaching them things, you know, uh, where do you think that's coming from? Did he, was that a commentary on, on, on like, you know, Hellenized Judaism or did he incorporate that into his personal philosophy? I'm not sure. He doesn't talk much about that, but that is something that you find in like the book of Enoch, for example, this, the, the watchers, the, it comes from Genesis six, the story of the Nephilim who were intrigued by human women and they came down and mated with them. It's a very short line in Genesis. I can't remember which line exactly. It's in Genesis six somewhere. Um, But anyway, that was a, a story of some fascination to people in uh, the Greco-Roman period mm-hmm. who would elaborate on that story. And you see most of that done in the book of Enoch. So Sosimos may have read the book of Enoch. That could be where he was getting it, but it could have been also, it seemed like that was the story that people were using as to talk about sin and how sin came into the world. Mm. Um, at least in, in some regard so i don't know know. story. he doesn't do a whole lot with it other than he mentions it and he talks about a story i need to go back and i have my book right here um because it's been a while since i've written about it he compares there is a alchemical text on isis where isis is an alchemist and she has a different experience if i'm recalling correctly where she wards off the angels. They are trying to get her to sleep with them and promising her knowledge. She's able to ward them off and get the knowledge anyway. So he holds her up or holds that kind of model up to ward off the demons, right? Don't, don't have intercourse or don't let them in. Right. But ward them off. And that's how you get the knowledge that you seek. Yeah. That that transcendent idea again, I, I love it. I love his his perspective. Not you know, not only because it agrees with me, but because it's you know, it's just such a strong testament to to this stuff getting passed on this this worldview of um, you know, he to me he's that 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 linking bridge between theurgy and whatever came afterward if you want to call that kind of the Gnostic baptisms of ascent that you find in like the Bruce codex, the book of Jehu or, or whatever, it's the idea of we have given the gods worship and tribute. Right. And the, you know, the, we're kind of under the dominion of these sublunary or planetary forces but the, the job of, you know, quote unquote, becoming gold or, or spiritual ascent is to learn to transcend those things, you know, step beyond. I think Israel Regerty, when talking about talking about a golden dawn adept, he says the, the true adept steps from the sides to the center, you know, leaving the peripheries. And, uh, you know, what he's talking about in that particular passage is... Um, this concept within the golden dawn, the vault of the adepts and each, you know, it's a seven sided wall, uh, seven sided room and each wall corresponds to a different planet. And so it's like leaving the little departments of worship, you know, you're a priest of this God or a priest of that God and stepping towards away from this worship and tribute high priest, tutelary deity. And now we're taught, now we're on a different mythic arc. We're on the, this is, we're talking about the hero now 
the Greek hero, you know, who saves himself type of thing by, by, by transcending that stuff. And I, I, f- I found that, um, I really felt that coming out of what you had described in your book, which was extremely helpful because you look at theurgy and you're like, well, how does this relate to, I don't, un- you know, because so little of it was actually explained by Iamblichus, you know, but you see it's in, for me, at least it's in the, the Zosimian stuff that you really get that connecting bridge forward. I wondered as I was writing, you know, how much, how much of me is going into this and how, you know, how is it, am I recording him faithfully? I think I did the best I could anyway, but that was always, and I think really in scholarship should always be a good question that you should ask yourself is how much are you projecting onto the material and to try to rein that back as much as possible. Um, because it does really appeal to me too, personally. You know, his view is one that I would share and I have the same kinds of criticisms he does. And so again, just constantly, it was constant checking in with myself and, you know, is this really what he's saying or is this really what I'm trying to say? Using <laughs> <laughs> it as a mouthpiece, you know? And anyway, there's an ethics and scholarship, I think, where you, you need to um, bracket yourself as it's right, called. right, right, right. Well, I think you did a good job. <laughs> I think you did a great job. Um, so, do you think there's any? Uh, we've I've talked a little bit about the connections that I see between theurgy and um, you know the Zosimian stuff, and as well as the 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 theurgy of of the um, or the self styled theurgy of the gold aromatic order of the golden dawn. Do you find there to be um, since you're a practitioner? I know you said that you you're not really into any formalized ritual, but you know I know that there was some kind of some form of meditation involved in some of these ancient practices, from what we can glean. So, do you find there to be any? I guess, modern spiritual application of this, this kind of uh, either Zosimian or, or hermetic alchemical uh, analogy that we're talking about could like, there's a lot of work being done right now that I'm aware of in, in theurgic neoplatonic pockets of people really sincerely attempting to reconstruct, you know, it's, it's of course, it's going to be a reconstruction to a greater or lesser extent. But do you think that, that uh, the, the material Zosimus covers his, his descriptions of it to Theosebia and, and other students. Do you think that somebody could feasibly extract a, a practice from that in the modern day? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, I really like his instructions for meditation and he talks about it. I wouldn't say it's the exact same thing as Buddhists do, but it's, it's calming the mind, you know, and trying to, uh, be aware of your anger, be aware of your pain, be aware of your discomfort and to release those and to quiet yourself. And as you do, he says, you know, once you can quiet yourself, um, God will come to you who is everywhere. You know, it's like, you'll, you'll see it. Um, I think that his ethics is good. I mean, just all of this is a Theurgy is is not just about doing ritual, but it's an approach to life and just having your sights set on the transcendent, on the most high, 
on the good, the true, and the beautiful, to use platonic terms. Um, and to have that guide be the guide in everything that you do and to try to be self-aware and to try to calm your passions and to divest yourself of your passions and your strong emotions and to, you know, to find that calm stillness within you. All of that is wise advice that could be used, you know, today. But I also think that he has a lot to offer. Uh, I'm very interested in, in, in nature, as I mentioned earlier, I um, find my spirituality, uh, nature as a nature is my church, um, so to speak. And I think that there's a lot that could be looked at with an environmental kind of ethic and theology in Sosimos' work and hermetic work generally. Um, I also have been interested in his just that scribal realm that he's in, um, the house of life, which is a part of the Egyptian temples. You probably saw some houses of life or at least parts of it, um, the scriptoriums in the temples or annexed to the temples when you were in Egypt. I'm very interested in that. And I've been reading the book of Thoth, not the Crowley you know, tarot book, but the book of Thoth, which is a, I believe it's an initiation text for the scribes in, and it was written, there were bits and pieces of it, um, that have been found throughout temples, but it's mostly a, like a Hellenistic a Ptolemaic period mm. text, an initiation text for scribes. And I see the craftsmen are represented there. They talk about the animation of statues and how you are also like a statue and God is working on you, um, you know, carving you, refining you, just as you were working on the statue yourself. So I'm, I guess all this to say, I'm very interested in this scribal worldview, um, this kind of uh, as an approach to education. And I'm not sure, you know, where that could go, but I think there's a lot to be said. I think education, um, academia, there are issues with it. It's It's been running from this medieval model that's kind of lost steam. And I, I see for me, a kind of revivifying influence in these, texts in the book of um, the book of Thoth in this house of life kind of model where you do have you have scribes you have the scholars the astronomers the artists working together coming together and doing this these things in a sacred manner translating and just for me it's given me such depth in the way that I think about words about language about ideas and the responsibility one has in recording them and bringing them forward for posterity's sake. He even talks, the book of Thoth talks about writing as kind of a, you're creating a statue almost when you write, an image of God that lives on after you and is there for other people to get divine wisdom from. You know, and so anyway, I've been very intrigued by the ideas about education that I've been getting from this material as well. That's exciting. Um, do you think that's that's some like future work for you in terms of uh, putting forth maybe another a volume. Um, I'd be very interested to, to read some more of, of your writing. <laughs> Thank you. I think, yes, I'm actually, I'm working on a paper right now on the goddess Sesha, who is both companion um, counterpart. And I'm writing a, an article or a, it's a conference paper, but I will probably turn it into an article at some point. I usually do. Um, 
on Seishat in the Book of Both. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm really interested in it. That's for sure. Excellent. So um, <clears throat> before I get to my canned question, um, I wanted to 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 get your thoughts on something. So uh, in the in the broader, I guess. Um, less so academic, uh, maybe not, I guess that's not fair to say, but, but, but in, in the broader milieu of, of the study of, uh, alchemy, occult orders like Freemasonry, uh, and specifically the writings of Zosimus of Panoplies, um, and again, him as a nexus point for a lot of this stuff, there's been quite a bit of work done on this, again, another through line of, uh, I guess I'd call it the entheogenic, through line in Zosimus's uh, treatment of alchemy. What are your thoughts on the possibility of that? I mean, after all, they were dealing with, you know, chemicals of a certain nature. I think that I certainly would not rule out the possibility. Um, I don't see a lot of evidence for it in Zosimus's writings that he's talking about it in a way that it can be used that way. But I certainly wouldn't want to to rule it out. I think that those kinds of ideas are very intriguing. And again, there's probably a lot of it there that's not been talked about for various cultural reasons we have today, cultural attitudes that we've inherited about drugs, whether it's like Timothy Leary, yeah, LSD, you know, psilocybin's the answer to everything or, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the Anyway, the campaign in the Reagan era against drugs, um, the D.A.R.E. program. <laughs> uh, I remember I remember the D.A.R.E. guys coming in, the police officers when I was in like, yeah, I was young. <laughs> so whatever attitudes, anyway, there's a lot of cultural baggage that we have about drugs. And I think that there's sometimes a tendency to be rarely enthusiastic and to, to see it everywhere when the evidence that you know, that we have doesn't really bear that out as well. But that's not to say that it's not there or, you know, can't be hidden somewhere. I just don't have much of an opinion on that regarding Zosimos because I haven't seen a lot of it come through in his work. Fair enough. Um, about it either for, you know, at all. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, quite a bit in general still needs to be done uh, on all that stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in recovery, so I don't, that's not something that, that necessarily uh, is how, as you were saying, kind of, you know, uh, being careful not to project ourselves onto certain things. It's not necessarily the thing that I resonate most with. And I think that that also has its part outside of academia, but it, it has its part to play in, in, in learning to contextualize information that is helpful to your own personal journey um because you i think that almost everything can be an analogy for anything you know um and and all the principles in life it's very alchemical thing right the tria prima are they exist in everything everywhere they're holographic and fractal to a nature so learning to to see those patterns that are intuitive to you can be helpful. And for me, it, it's, it's definitely at this point in my life, it, it's definitely the spiritual analogy of alchemy. I've done a little bit of spagyric, uh, you know, seven dailies 
of, 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 of the practical alchemy. And it's great. It's great. But for me, the, it, it, that only amplifies the spiritual component for me. That That's the main thing for me is not, you know, how can I change reality? And I, I get it because some people are making powerful medicines that are an alternative to the, the, you know, the, the, the pharmaceutical industry, but, but for, for my personal thing, it's, I've tried to focus more on the spiritual stuff. That's, that's been, because that is what has transformed me the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And not to say that entheogens aren't transformative. Oh my gosh, they are. Um, yeah, it's just, it's again, in my scholarship, it's something that I haven't seen a lot. And I don't, again, what I've seen is that people tend to be um, either, I don't know, kind of enthusiastic in their search for it and, and maybe seeing it when I'm not quite sure it's there. Yeah. Again, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, so I have a, a, a couple of canned questions, but there's really one that I, I want to ask you uh, that everybody gets. Um, for anybody that might've been listening to our conversation today, uh, we've, again, we've covered a lot of ground as I usually do in these podcasts. Uh, we've talked about everything from, from magic and paganism, uh, in the modern day to theurgy, alchemy, Zosimus, etc. If you could distill that, that information down to like three books that you'd recommend somebody who has listened to this podcast today, go check out to get their bearings on any of that stuff, um, or have just been influential to you. What three books do you think that you'd recommend off the top of your head? The Hermetica. I would recommend um, Plato. <laughs> I guess I'm going with the ancient sources here, although yeah, I certainly right. read a lot of modern sources, but I, I think, um, and uh, the Nag Hammadi Library, of course, if you want to learn about Gnosticism. Scholars, I really like Greg Shaw's book. I'm glad that you had him on your show. Um, He's wonderful. And that book, even though it's been, I can't remember when it came out in the nineties at some point, um, I think it's still, he's still the top scholar out there as far as theurgy goes and as far as young goes. And he's so wise and you get a great, um, to me, he's a great spiritual teacher, even, you know, as an academic, it comes through in his writing. And I love that about Greg Shaw's writing. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to be put on the spot. I guess I go to the yeah. ancients. No, I think that those are those are great recommendations. I think there there's a really funny meme about people who are uh, interested in in uh, hermeticism, but go straight to the Kabbalion instead of the Hermetica. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. So you, you you really can't. I like to get my book recommendations from scholars, to be honest with you. So uh, I think those are great, and I um I really appreciate you taking the time today, um, and having this conversation with me. I look forward to more of your work, and uh, I, hopefully we get to talk to, uh, again. Great. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.